0: Chapter Thirty Eight of Paul, a Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, a Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter Thirty Eight Paul and Felix Felix Claudius, the worshipful procurator of Judea, was apparently lost in thought. He sat motionless in his massive carven chair, quite oblivious, it would seem, to the fact that one of his attendants had been kneeling before him for a full five minutes, holding out at arm's length a salver upon which reposed a letter. The eyes of the great man were fixed stolidly upon the point of his gold-embossed sandal, and the expression of his heavy sensual face was a degree more savage and gloomy than was its wont on either side stood four slaves silent and rigid as the kneeling page but not the less apprehensively observant of the man in the chair after a time the central figure in this singular group raised his eyes to the face of the kneeling slave as the moments dragged by it could be seen that the man was suffering slow torture under the merciless unwinking stare His legs trembled beneath him, his hands clutched convulsively at the edges of the salver, great beads of moisture started out upon his livid forehead. Felix Claudius smiled evilly. He reached out and took the letter, which he proceeded to open and read with deliberation. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greeting. The prisoner whom I sent you was seized by the Jews, and was on the point of being killed by them when I came down upon them with a guard and rescued him, for I learned that he was a Roman citizen. As I wished to know the offense which the Jews had to allege against him, I took him down to their Sanhedrim, and there I found that the accusations related to certain questions of their law, but that nothing worthy of death or imprisonment was charged against him and now, having received information, that a plot has been made against the man's life, I forthwith send him to you. At the same time I have notified his accusers to bring their charges before you. Farewell. The procurator crumpled the parchment with a smothered oath. Fetch in the prisoner and the centurions, he commanded briefly. The slave, who still knelt before him, arose to his feet with a cringing obeisance and retreated backward to the door. The centurions were evidently waiting in the anteroom, for they entered at once, the prisoner walking between them. The contrast between the fine soldierly presence of the officers and the small, stoop-shouldered, shabby figure of the prisoner was strikingly apparent as the three advanced. The procurator thrust out his underlip with a sneering smile. "'From what province art thou?' "'I am a Jew of Tarsus, of Cilicia,' replied the prisoner, looking calmly into the face of his judge. "'I am—' But Felix interrupted him with an arrogant gesture. "'I will hear your case when your accusers are come. Take the man away, and put him under guard in Herod's judgment hall.' Five days later the high priest Ananias, with a number of the Sanhedrists, and a certain orator named Tertullus, whom they had employed to argue their side in the case, arrived in Caesarea. They lost no time in presenting themselves before the governor. After the customary preliminaries, Tertullus was introduced. The lawyer prefaced his accusation with a fulsome eulogy upon the wisdom, discretion, and energy of the procurator. "'Under whom,' he declared unctuously, "'we have enjoyed great peace and prosperity. "'Seeing,' he continued with a flourish of his hand, "'that very worthy national reforms have been brought about through thy excellent wisdom, "'we are ready to accept the decrees of that wisdom always, "'and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness.' But, in order that I be not further tedious unto thee, I beseech thee to hear us briefly of thy clemency. We have found this man a pestilent fellow, one that is continually stirring up insurrections among the Jews throughout the habitable world. He is also a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. More than this, he deliberately attempted to profane the temple but when we seized him and were about to judge him according to our law the chief captain lysias came upon us and with great violence took him out of our hands he then commanded that the case should appear before thee by whom also thou wilt be able to corroborate these charges after having thyself examined the man from his speech it may be seen that there were three counts in his indictment against paul First, he was a dangerous disturber of the peace, an offence against the Roman government amounting to high treason. Second, he was the ringleader of the Nazarenes, which involved infringement of the laws of Moses. Third, he had attempted to profane the temple at Jerusalem, a capital offence according to the law of both nations, since Rome recognized thus far the Judaic code. The complaint having been thus formally lodged, the members of the Sanhedrin who were present arose, one after another, and vehemently confirmed the same. Intimating that since Lysias had improperly exercised his powers in forcibly removing the prisoner during his ecclesiastical trial, it now remained for Felix to make the matter right by returning the offender into their hands. Felix listened stolidly, without question or comment. After the Jews had finished speaking, he motioned to the prisoner to advance. "'Knowing that thou hast been judge over this nation for many years,' began the defendant, "'I answer for myself in the matters brought against me "'with the greater confidence. "'For it is in thy power to learn that only twelve days have passed "'since I went up to Jerusalem to worship.' And neither in the temple, nor in the synagogue, nor in the streets, did these, my accusers, find me disputing with any man, or causing any disorderly concourse of the people. Nor can they prove against me that the things wherewith they now charge me. But this I acknowledge to thee, that after the way that they call sect, I served the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and having a hope towards God, which they themselves entertain, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. Wherefore I strive earnestly to preserve a conscience always void of offense towards God and man. Now after many years I came hither to bring alms to my nation and offerings, and they found me so doing in the temple after I had been purified, neither with multitude nor with tumult. But certain Jews from Asia came upon me, "'Who should have appeared here before thee to accuse me, if they had aught against me? "'Or let these men who are present say whether they found me guilty of any offence "'when I stood before the Sanhedrin, except it be for this one word, "'which I cried out as I stood in the midst of them. "'Touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question by you this day.'" Felix had not lived six years among the Jews without learning something of their characteristics. He had had dealings on more than one occasion with these slippery rabbins from Jerusalem, and while he thoroughly detested them, he was anxious for private reasons of his own to remain on good terms with them, for the present at least. Of the sect of the Nazarenes, he knew more than the Sanhedrists gave him credit for. This new religion had penetrated even among the Roman troops which were stationed at Caesarea. Religion in general did not interest Felix, but these soldiers were brave, obedient, easily controlled. Further than that, he neither knew nor cared. As for the prisoner, his interests were quite naturally considered last. The man was evidently innocent, but it would not do to say so. Moreover, there were two words in his defense which possessed a deep interest for his judge. Those two words were alms and offerings. If the Jew has resources, quoted Felix to himself, "'He shall pay me roundly for the trouble I have taken before he tastes of liberty.' For some moments after the prisoner had finished his defense, this righteous arbitrator remained silent. Then, with a show of great prudence and fairness, he announced that it would be impossible for him to arrive at any decision in the matter until he had collected further evidence. "'When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down,' he said, "'I will know the utmost of your matter.' In pursuance of his plans, he gave Paul in charge to one of his centurions, directing him to show the man due consideration, and more especially to allow him free communication with his friends the prisoner was accordingly removed to the guard-house where a long light chain was riveted about the wrist of his right hand the other end of the chain was fastened to the left hand of a common soldier who became answerable with his life for the security of the prisoner this chain was never to be loosed day or night save when the soldiers relieved one another It shortly transpired that the worthy governor had other and more agreeable business on hand than the trying of Jewish suspects. The very next day he departed from Caesarea with a large retinue of slaves and soldiers, leaving minute directions for the refitting and furnishing of certain apartments in the palace known as the Queen's Wing there was much anxious conjecture in all circles of caesarean society as to what these things should portend but all suspense was shortly put to an end by the return of the governor himself in the character of a triumphant bridegroom the Roman matrons smiled and whispered behind their fans, while the discontented murmuring in the Jewish quarters grew loud and threatening. The bride, it appeared, was none other than the beautiful princess Drusilla, youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa, reared by her mother as a rigid Jewess. She had been enticed from the protection of her lawful husband, it was said, by the skilful machinations of the Cyprian sorcerer Simon Magus who had been for some time an important member of the proconsular household what subtle arts were employed to induce this beautiful girl of twenty to leave the young and handsome prince of aziz for the elderly and cruel profligate who had once been the slave of her father could only be guessed at She took no one into her confidence and met the polite innuendos of the Roman courtiers with the same freezing hauteur which she displayed toward the infuriated hierarchs of her own nation. Not many days after her installation in the Caesarean palace, the princess learned from one of her attendants that Paul, the famous Nazarene, was imprisoned in one of the dungeons of the palace. "'I should like to see this Paul,' she said languidly to the man whom she chose for the present to call husband. "'They tell me that he can perform miracles, as did the Nazarene himself. "'It will amuse me. So far I do not find Caesarea amusing.' "'Thou shalt see the man at once,' answered Felix promptly. "'I will order him to be fetched to the judgment hall. "'But if I choose to see him here—' "'Thou wilt not choose to see him here, light of my eyes.' "'The princess lifted her brows haughtily. "'What didst thou swear to me?' she demanded. "'That thy word should be law, daughter Agrippa. "'But from henceforth I am that word. "'Dost thou understand me?' "'Drusilla's black eyes blazed. "'Her scarlet lips trembled. "'Slave!' "'She cried, springing to her feet. "'Was it for this I left the man who adored me? "'I will stay here no longer. "'I will go back to my husband.' "'Felix took two steps across the room "'and caught her slim wrist in a grip of steel. "'Look at me,' he said in a low voice. "'The girl slowly and sullenly raised her eyes. "'Go back to Aziz, if thou wilt. "'Aye, go back to thy Jewish rabbis. "'Go where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. "'Thou art free as air.' The scarlet lips were white now. I, I I cannot. They would kill me. I— Nay, princess, tears do not become thee. And the man laughed mockingly. We will go now to the judgment hall, shall we not? And the prisoner shall entertain thee with his magic. And so it happened that Paul was again summoned into the august presence of the governor of Judea, thou mayest expound to us this matter of the crucified man said felix with an easy wave of the hand this lady is curious concerning the matter then paul did preach unto those twain christ crucified and as he reasoned of righteousness of temperance and of judgment to come felix trembled even as he had once trembled beneath the lash a strange unearthly power streamed forth from the presence of this chained prisoner Those searching gray eyes seemed to pierce to the furthest limits of the darkened and narrow soul of the man, and lust, murder, greed, hatred, and all the host of noisome things within writhed and twisted in agony beneath the unwanted flood of light which was suddenly poured in upon them. "'Hold!' cried out the tortured man at length, wiping the great drops from his forehead. "'Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season I will call for thee.' "'What ailed thee when the man was talking?' inquired Drusilla of her lord and master after the prisoner had been removed. "'For myself I found him very dull. Why didst thou not command him to perform a wonder for me?' "'Felix answered her never a word. Yet after a while he was ready to laugh and sneer as before. "'The light had disappeared, and all the brood of creatures within his soul drowsed contentedly once more.' "'The man hath an evil eye,' he cried with a great oath. "'I swear that I believe all that the Jews have said of him.' Nevertheless he sent for him more than once in private, and intimated in no uncertain terms that if a sum of money sufficiently great were forthcoming, he should be at once liberated. "'If I have done no evil,' said the prisoner on one of these occasions, "'freedom is mine according to the law.' "'But if I am guilty, thou canst not lawfully sell me my liberty.' "'I am the law!' cried Felix fiercely. "'Thou shalt wear thy chain during my pleasure.' and so passed away two years at the end of that time there was a great cry made in the streets of caesarea the never-ending feud between the jews and greeks had come at length to a head there was a fierce battle in the market-place in which the greeks were worsted at the hands of their antagonists when suddenly the procurator at the head of his cohorts appeared on the scene and ordered the rioters to disperse As his commands were not instantly obeyed, he let loose his soldiers upon them. A great slaughter of the insurgents ensued, and the massacre was followed by a general plundering of the houses of the wealthier Jews. This was not to be borne. The heads of the nation arose in their might and demanded the instant dismissal of the offending governor. He was at once recalled to Rome to answer to the charges against him before Nero. "'What of the prisoner Paulus, Your Excellency?' asked one of the centurions on the eve of his departure. "'Wilt that thou we release the man?' "'Release him? No,' growled Felix. "'Leave him as he is. "'It may pacify those accursed Jews to know that I have left the man bound,' he added. "'They will at all events have one less count against me.' On the following day he departed for Rome with the woman Drusilla and their son, who was called Agrippa. End of chapter thirty eight.